is Sarah, the DCE intern at Trinity Lutheran Church in Laconia, Minnesota. We invite you to listen as members of Trinity join together to share their stories. Remember the Wonders was made to create a sense of community and connection in a time where we can often feel disconnected and alone in the church. It works to connect new and lifelong members to each other through the sharing of their unique and relatable life stories. We encourage our members to seek God and value in their stories, no matter how big or small, referencing 1 Chronicles 16.12. We hope that you join us and remember the Wonders. Joining us today, we have Katie Voss. So Katie, go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am Katie. I think I'm 34 years old. I (laughs) I sometimes forget how old I am. Um, I am a mom of four. I am a wife. I uh, am a photographer. And I have a a story to share today. Um, We've been with Trinity for about seven, eight-ish years. It it might even be longer, but it... (laughs) The time goes. (laughs) Yeah, all runs together. Yeah. Sweet. Well, on our podcast, we encourage members to share an impactful story in their life using the question, how do you know God is real in your life? So, Katie, how do you know that God is real in your life? I know God is real in my life because of the four kids in my house. Uh, So, my husband and I were married in 2009. Um, the, The original plan was kind of always give it two years and then start trying to have kids. Uh, and I didn't make it two years. I felt something really strongly that mm-hmm. I thought we should start trying for kids earlier. And so I actually wrote a letter to my husband explaining <laughs> why I thought we should start having kids <laughs> earlier than we thought we would. Mm-hmm. And we went to Buffalo Wild Wings and I read him this letter. <laughs> yeah, I had to sweet talk him with maybe some beer and wings a little bit. Um, So I I read him this letter, and and one of the reasons I wanted to start trying was I felt like our parents um, were the youngest in our family, so our parents were getting older, and I wanted to be able to share this grandchild experience. Um, So he he was very good. He's like, yes, I think we should try. So we thought, you know, we went on one last vacation, and then we just thought this would happen. We would just be able to have a baby. We were very unaware (laughs) that how difficult, you know, science actually makes it to have a baby and how miraculous it really is um, that these things come together to create life. Uh, So we started trying right away. Um, It didn't work. I mean, the first month, it was so devastating after month one. You, like, immediately think something is wrong with you and well, at least I did, and your anxieties start going, and you're you're like, oh, you know, wondering the or, or thinking the worst possible outcome, and you know, we just had to buckle up and and keep trying and praying about it. And um, after about nine months of trying with no success, um, I started to look into reasons why we might be in this situation. So. Mm-hmm. A lot of Dr. Google, um, and my husband ended up having uh, a health concern that brought him to the doctor uh, a little earlier than that one year of infertility mark. Okay. So they kind of generally say, under thirty, good health. Mm-hmm. Try for a year, mm-hmm. and if you don't, if you aren't successful, come in and we'll see what you okay. know. See if there's any underlying issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went in a little earlier um, due to due to a little underlying issue we had. Um, and that started the ball for us earlier. 
<clears throat> than we expected. And so both of us ended up getting tested for a variety of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and we both learned that we were both kind of the problem, basically. Yeah. You know, first it was, first it was, you know, Pat got tested for things first and he, he was carrying the burden and he thought he was the only one with the problem. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't see it that way. We were a team and neither of us were the problem, so to speak. So, uh, and then when I started going through more testing and realized that I had, you know, I have, um, PCOS and I have endometriosis and I had a pretty large cyst removed, um, for my ovaries. So, you know, I'm, I'm damaged and broken inside (laughs) too. So we had to move on as a team. So we kept creating these like hard lines for ourselves. Like we are never going to do an IUI. Um, so we're never going to do intrauterine insemination. Like, no. That's silly. We don't need to go there. We, we can do this other ways. Well, we would exhaust everything up until that red line, and then we're like, oh, okay, well, let's extend our line a little yeah. bit. We mm-hmm. can try it. So we tried that to no success. We tried it three and a half times, I always say, because one time we missed our window. And our next red line was like, we are not doing IVF. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it was a really hard struggle for us. Um, for both kind of our personal beliefs and our faith beliefs and how we approach that. And we were not on the same page at the same time. Okay. Uh, it, it, we had to wait, wait until the other person was ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband will fully admit it was always me first, <laughs> ready to jump over the line. Right. Yeah. And then he would follow up. Um, and so we got to the point where we moved to see a specialist and went ahead and started preparing for um, in vitro fertilization and just quick science lesson. So we would take my eggs, we would stimulate until I could get several eggs and then the doctor would remove those from my body and uh, would take a sample from Pat and we would uh, fertilize them outside the womb and then five days later they would be put back in okay. or three to five days. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Um, we did a, what's called a fresh transfer. So we did it five days later instead of freezing our embryos, or as we called them, our teeny tiny fighters. <laughs> um, and side note, we have this this Christmas ornament that says teeny tiny fighters with all these angel wings oh, on them because so we know we have babies waiting mm-hmm. for us in heaven. So that that first time it did not it did not work and it was uh, devastating and then the leftover embryos we had did not uh, survive the next day to be frozen so we were back to square one mm-hmm. um, so we went ahead and met with a second specialist and decided to try again and try with a little different little different route. And in the meantime, because I needed, this is the most out of control a woman can feel is not being able Mm -hmm. to do anything to fix what, you know, you feel like God put you on this earth to do. Like, I can't make a baby. That's Mm -hmm. why I'm here, right? Yeah. So since I couldn't control that, I tried to control other things. And so I was always thinking ahead, like, okay, if this doesn't work, we're doing this. And if that doesn't work, we're doing this. So I started looking into foster care in between those two IVF cycles. And 
again, the first time I brought it up to Pat, he, he was like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. And, and we didn't have an honest understanding of foster care. We right. had a, a portrayal of kind of how we've seen in mm-hmm. entertainment. Yeah. Um, so we decided we would go to an information meeting with our county. We would see how it went, see if either of us felt one way or the other, mm-hmm. and then make some decisions from there. So we attended one in between the two cycles, and I came out, like, pumped. I was like, yeah. all right, all the kids get to live at my yes. house. Like, yeah. we're getting a bigger <laughs> house. Everybody's welcome. Like, yeah. <laughs> and Pat I came out that. like, no way. Mm-hmm. I do not want to do this. All right. So we were at opposite ends of the spectrum. So um, we just tabled it because mm-hmm. we knew we were too far apart to come to a compromise. Yeah. Um, so we just tabled it, and we, we said we'd come back to it. And we did come back to it about a year later. Our entire journey from kind of, well, I guess it's still kind of technically going on, but from beginning infertility treatments to our first child was about five years. So we went back for a second round of an information meeting about a year later. And that time we both came out a little calmer Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a little more to the middle for both of us. I wasn't like, all the babies. <laughs> and he wasn't like, none of the babies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we met in the middle and we decided to go ahead and get licensed. And licensing can be a long, draining process. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of paperwork and a lot of, frankly, some nonsense you have to, <laughs> right. to fill out. You know how paperwork gets. Um, and while we're doing this, they tell us, you know, it takes... And the time frame might be different now, um, but at that time they're telling us it takes about six months from beginning to end to get licensed. Um, and it really was up to us how fast it went by how fast we got our stuff okay. together and okay. and that kind of thing. So we were in the process of licensing when um, I got a call from my sister-in-law, or maybe it was a text. We were at the movies watching Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> And I was trying really hard not to take out my phone to see because right. <laughs> I was in the movie theater, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to do it. Yeah. And she had said, I know a foster mom mm-hmm. who has a little baby boy who's going to need a home permanently. Um, and she asked me if I knew anyone. So I thought of you guys. And I was like, this is the first time anyone was like, hey, you might really be able to have a baby. Right. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. So my emotions were very high. We both left the movie, <laughs> got in the truck, and we just cried. We just cried together because we didn't – it was just everything coming together, and, and it was, like, scary and exciting, but yet we were getting way ahead of ourselves because right. we weren't fully licensed yet. So we turned into crazy people the next couple of days, and we're contacting the county licensor. We were contacting private agencies, trying to figure out what – what was the fastest way to get licensed so mm-hmm. that we could get on the list of basically potential parents for this child? Yeah. <laughs> they say we got licensed the fastest of anyone they've ever seen. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, and we had talked to this this baby. This child was in another county than we were licensed in. So um, there was a little extra you know, hoops to jump through yeah. and, and, and kind of like two teams working together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we met with the other county and I think just by phone call first. And they told us a little bit about the baby and a little bit about his situation. 
And we were like, okay, you know, that's doable. We know that there are a lot of issues that come up with kiddos in foster care, but we kind of were looking at it like we don't have any kind of comparison for family life. So, you know, we will just, we will love the baby that we are given. And um, then we didn't hear anything for months and months and months. Mm -hmm. And so we kind (laughs) of, yeah, we kind of just assumed it was off the table Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um, And we kind of inquired, you know, a few times and they were just like, oh, the case is still open. It would be very big like that. And they, and then uh, a few months later, we got a letter in the mail asking if we would basically be willing to be an adoptive placement for this baby. And we're like, wait, hold on a second. (laughs) 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 We thought this was over with. Um, And so they called with a follow-up call that day or the next day, and they came to our house another day later. Um, And by they, I mean the, the social work team from the other county. And they basically were like, you are our top choice, and we can move the baby in tomorrow. And we were like, oh, what? Right. (laughs) And at this point, we weren't super familiar with the foster care process. Mm -hmm. We were very new to everything. And um, we talked with that baby's current foster mom. And when we hung up the phone, I was bawling. Something immediately came over me and told me this was not our child. Wow. And I like to share that really difficult story because, you know, people think of people think of foster parents, it seems kind of one of two ways. Like they get this bad rep that they're just in it for the money and yeah. and then there's this other which I don't really like either, (laughs) when they're like, oh, you're a hero and, you know, you're saving the children and it it gets a little dramatic the other way. And so I kind of like to put it into perspective, like we're just average people trying to figure this out who thought we would do anything to have a baby. Right. Now there's a baby and we're like, nope. Mm -hmm. We, and we took, there were several, several reasons I think I felt that way in, in just learning more about his history as we got to talk to the social workers, I just didn't feel that our house was the best for him considering where he had other family members living. And I, I wanted him, if if he was able to have a connection with his biological family members, I, I wanted that for him. And and I didn't know if I could give that relationship to him, if yeah. I could, there was a lot of them. Yeah. And I didn't know if I could keep that relationship for him. And, and my, <laughs> my husband was just like, he probably just went white in the face. He's like, wait, what? You you don't? Yeah. Not to adopt this baby? Yeah. And I said, I just, I haven't closed the chapter on having our own biological kid. Mm-hmm. And I have an overwhelming feeling. And that was probably the, the most I've ever clearly heard the Holy Spirit come to me, like, and just fill my whole body with, this is what you need to do. Yeah. I am an overthinker. I, there's probably times Jesus has come to me and said something very clearly. And I'm like, that was nothing. I was just the wind, you know, whatever. But um, from head to toe, I felt it physically as soon as I hung up the phone with his foster mom. And uh, people were very surprised. (laughs) And and that was really hard to tell people. And I don't think Mm -hmm. a lot of people understood why we went that way. And that's okay. You know, I I want people to know it's okay that. Yeah. 
if it's not you, you, you have the choice to make right, for right. your family and this baby's family, and you want it to be the right one. Yeah, I love that. So we um, we took a little break <laughs> from all things babies. Yeah. Um, and we um, decided that's when we decided to get that second opinion, uh, and we went through the whole setup again, and we only retrieved a few eggs. And this time, we decided to send off our embryos to be tested for chromosomal issues. And that was just to see if there was another underlying condition that was preventing us from having biological children. We only had one normal one come back. Hmm. That one normal baby is still in his or her little baby freezer (laughs) because God took us down a very winding path after that. He he threw a curveball. So in the middle from from what they call retrieval of the eggs to when either transfer day or, or, or freezer day is, uh, I got pretty sick. I got OHSS, so I was I got hyper-stimulated and I um, retained a lot of water. And mm-hmm. so I was kind of on bed rest and, mm-hmm. and taking some pills and, and just kind of needed to lay low. And it was not long before Thanksgiving. Hormones are crazy pants because mm-hmm. I have to take – a lot of hormones to get through this process and my brain thinks it's a really good idea to jump on my foster group page on Facebook oh, for like the first time in months <laughs> like I haven't looked at it since the last yeah kind of situation and um, we haven't taken any placements in and there's this woman on there and she talks about how she is a little girl five months old She's not. She's going to need an adoptive home, and she's not able to do it, and it's crushing for her to have to make that choice. And so I just reached out and told her, you know, we've made that choice where we've said where somebody's been, you know, this baby needs a home, mm-hmm. and we had to say, no, we can't. And just how that emotion, whew, it's an emotional spectrum. So um, we just got to talking a little bit about our, our stories, and and I told her why we were in foster care um, and kind of how we got led here from infertility. And, um, and she said, she, she said, well, are you guys interested? Like, I don't really get to make this decision, but (laughs) (laughs) if I can, if I can get you guys, you know, to kind of do respite and take her on the weekends, she had two medically fragile kids and she needed a break, um, Mm -hmm. until she could get this baby in a, in a permanent placement. And so again, this was across County lines so we did respite care for um, quite a few months. So every weekend we would go pick her up. The first time I picked her up was the I went to the doctor. I got cleared to return back to normal. I went to her daycare and met her and picked her up wow. and brought her home. And she stayed for the weekend. And we did that every week for a long time. And every Friday or Thursday would start with such joy and excitement. And every Sunday we would cry. Yeah all the way home, all the way to dropping her off and all the way back. And we loved her fiercely. And I was, it was, they say, you know, you have to make a connection with these kids in foster care and you're going to get hurt. Yeah. <clears throat> but you have to give your love 100%. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's what they need. So that was kind of our motto. Like, we are going to love her as long as we have her and we right. are going to set her up. Mm-hmm to be able to accept love and attach with any caregiver, you know, who may become her permanent caregiver. Right. And so um, 
We While they're grabbing a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens. Sure. <laughs> uh, so when it came time to have this baby placed somewhere, the current foster family had closed their license, which meant the child had to move within 30 days. That was their wow. their window. And her biological parents were already, um, they had already had their rights terminated. And we had ar- they had already done a relative search once. So moving her into our home, we were fairly confident mm-hmm. she would be an adoptable child yeah. that we would care for forever. But again, we were very naive <laughs> to the yeah. subject. So she moved in and... Um, we had to do another relative search mm-hmm. per law. I don't remember what led to this, yeah. but um, so it was like another ninety days or thirty days. I don't remember to wait and agonize to see if anyone else would step forward. Mm-hmm. And in foster care, any biological relatives really have, you know, first dibs, so yeah. to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one came forward, and they officially said, you know. Here we go. Do you want to be the pre-adoptive? Yeah. Sign the pre-adoptive papers. And we're like, let's do this. And this felt so much different. Mm-hmm. It was it was all happiness, no fear, no worry, no second guessing. We just jumped in, and um, just after oh gosh, she was maybe fifteen-ish months old. Um, we officially adopted her. Mm-hmm. And felt like just we were crazy in love parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we love her very, very much. Um, she's almost six now. And so we thought we would do this adoption. And then when we felt ready, we would go back and transfer that embryo. Right, right. Thanksgiving the next year was coming up again. So we had kind of met her or learned about her at Thanksgiving the year before. And Thanksgiving came up <laughs> the next year. And our licensor calls. And she said, I have a baby, a little 18-month girl, 18-month-old girl who needs needs a home right now. So it was an emergency placement. Okay. So she needed somewhere to stay for 48 hours mm-hmm. um, until her case went through court and decided if she needed to remain in foster care or could return home or if they mm-hmm. could find family. And they're like, you know, she's her family is known to us and we know who the grandparents are. So she'll probably just be there for 48 to 72 hours. Um She's about the same age as your little girl. They were two weeks in difference in age. Wow. So she's like, Are you, can you take her? And I said, well, when would you bring her? And she says, as soon as you say yes. Wow. <laughs> okay. No pressure. <laughs> so, and that's how foster care works. And mm-hmm. we, we were we were more prepared this time. So I called my husband and I was like, well, what do you think? I'm like, they say it's just going to be for like 48 to 72 hours. Yeah, just a little sleepover. (laughs) Foster parents and future foster parents, you must always know that it is never the timeline they give you (laughs) the first, second, third, fourth time. It it changes. It's a very fluid situation. Uh, So as I was waiting for her to show up, I remember tiptoeing I'm very short. Um, <laughs> tiptoeing so I could see out the peephole of our window, of our door. And the first social worker came around the corner and she wasn't holding the child. And I just remember thinking, this could be my second child. Yeah. I wonder what she looks like. And she came around the corner and she had this big curly mop on top of her head. <laughs> she had, It was just... It was awesome. It was just this big brown curly mop. <laughs> and I just remember it bouncing kind of as they were walking. And she was carrying a bottle. 
and a stuffed animal. And she came in. And uh, so her transition was a little tougher um, than our first child as as she was a toddler and the first our first child was was an infant and it it was hard it it everything kept getting delayed and um, the grandparents didn't want to take her again and were kind of tired of the whole system mm-hmm. and they wanted out yeah. and okay so um, we were gonna work towards reunification with her family and we you know, yeah, she can she can stay here as our as our foster placement as long as needed. But it was really difficult. Um, we spent we we did a very like progressive <laughs> sleep program. Like the first night, she slept in my arms in the recliner. And there's all these rules about licensing, and mm-hmm. you're. You're trying to follow the rules, but you're also trying to give the baby love, love and what yeah. she needs and this comfort. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I can't fall asleep because then I'd be breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we made it to like sleeping on the floor in the living room. And then eventually we tried to put her in a crib and she wasn't having that. And we found out she had never had a crib. Oh, wow. So we um, got her a big girl bed then. And we did a like a queen size bed so that I could sleep next to her. And then eventually I slept on the floor in her room Mm -hmm. and then like the hallway and then in my own room, but the doors were open Mm -hmm. and it was a really long progressive sleep transition. And I just remember thinking, Ooh, this is tougher than I thought. And, and her care led us to some, to some different things we had to work on, but we had come really close to reunifying a couple times with her birth parents and her birth mom kind of just disappeared after a little while and we couldn't get a hold of her and eventually her rights were terminated uh, and then we had to start talking about permanency for her mm-hmm. she'd, she'd been in care too long at this at this point right. her birth her birth dad was is a wonderful man mm-hmm. and he knew once the birth mom was out of the picture it was going to be really difficult for him to raise her on his own. And so he agreed to start talking about possible adoption. So we met with a couple of her biological aunts Mm -hmm. who were interested in caring for her. And we said, look, we have no, we don't really, we don't want to, you know, fight over this child. We just want to make sure she's in the right home. And if that can't be ours, as long as, you know, she's taken care of, we're okay with that. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no, really, we want you guys to be the parents. We just want to make sure you weren't crazy. <laughs> and so we all kind of agreed that we would go forward as the as the pre-adoptive parents. And um, then we met with her birth dad, and we did some kind of mediated um, discussions about what it looks like for him to be in her life. Mm-hmm. And uh, we came to a agreement. Um, and so we have an open adoption okay. with her birth dad and so that was our first kind of experience with open adoption right and so then when her adoption was finalized no before her adoption was finalized (laughs) we had talked about possibly going back to get our little frozen mb and and do that again and shortly before her adoption was finalized we found out why birth mom had disappeared out of the picture we were in church. I got a text 
And I was like, don't open it. You're in church. <laughs> it's a movie theater. And oh, then yeah. I did it. <laughs> and it was her aunt saying, hey, um, you know, birth mom is pregnant again. She's due uh, in a few months. And we were like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're in a situation where our hearts are like, we got to keep the babies together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we just kind of got – we're not even finalized with right. this one. So uh-huh. it was it was overwhelming. But ultimately, we knew that we we wanted um, to keep them together. Mm-hmm. So she was due a few months later. That was about Christmas time. So it was almost Thanksgiving again for the third <laughs> <Imagine> time. Imagine that. <laughs> my, my brother-in-law would tease us so kind of like the the National Lampoon's vacation. We put a dollar in, you got a car. You put a dollar in, you get a car. And he said, you go to Thanksgiving, you get a baby. You go to Thanksgiving, <laughs> you get a baby. So we, we knew – that the baby was coming. And and most times you're not privy to that information because you have no rights to know what the biological parents are up to. But because I was able to bring it up to our social worker that a family member had told me, then I was filled in on the situation. Mm -hmm. And we, um, you know, kind of prepped knowing she would probably come directly home from the hospital with us. And birth mom would still have a chance to reunite if she wanted but it likely wouldn't end that way with with her past. All right, so we we knew about when she was born, about when she was about to be born. St. Patrick's Day of that year, my 18-year-old nephew was killed in a car accident. And he was, all my nieces and nephews are very special to me, especially when I couldn't have my own children. Yeah. You know, I I really, really held on to that auntie relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, and I cherished it. I cherished him a lot. <laughs> he was he was a good kid. The last time I had really kind of hung out with him was kind of one-on-one was he chose to stay at our house the night before our first daughter's baptism. Oh, and like none of his siblings stayed, his parents didn't stay. Mm-hmm. And I don't really remember how come he stayed at our house and why everyone else yeah. stayed somewhere else. But... Um, <laughs> I'm so thankful for that memory because, like, I have pictures of him reading to her and being silly and building forts. Um, and this was devastating. My my sister is also my best friend. So mm-hmm. it was a whirlwind couple of days just trying to figure out what the next steps were for their, their family and services. And as we're walking out of the church from his funeral service, I got a call from the social worker and said, you know, baby girl's been born. Wow. And we're like, (laughs) we just went from the lowest of low to highest of high in seconds. Mm -hmm. And the guilt that came with that, my sister is losing one of her three children and I'm gaining a third child. It was tough, but it was a it was a really tough transitional period. So she was in the NICU for a few weeks, and we would go visit her in the NICU and then up to my sisters who lived a little further away and then back home to try to care for our, our other two children. And um, eventually she came home, and she became this ray of sunshine kind of for my family. Who doesn't love a tiny baby? Right. <laughs> exactly. And she's so full of personality. And to this day, she is three and she is a wild child. <laughs> and I say, you know, her and my nephew spent two days on the earth together. They did not know each other. Mm-hmm. But I cherish that so much. And knowing that that they were here 
on earth together and now you know he's he's in heaven and she's here and i just feel like there's some kind of peaceful connection yeah and so two days after we or two days before his um death anniversary is when we celebrate her birthday Mm -hmm. and so it's it's just nice nice to have this like joyful moment that goes in with this really this really tough moment and um we ended up adopting her not long after she was about a year ish old year and a half maybe Mm -hmm. and then we said we were done (laughs) (laughs) and oh i'm getting so long-winded our story goes over many years we said we were done because we have this last embryo to transfer and right. we really want to get to this <laughs> and kind of be able because it's just kind of been this lingering open wound. We've never yeah. closed the chapter on infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's what we're going to do. So um, last year, uh, shortly before the COVID ordeal began, we were like, let's get a puppy <laughs> to bridge kind of this like want to have a baby but like don't want to really disrupt our family life as we're getting the new flow here of of three kids Mm -hmm. and um and you know we we're gonna we're gonna head back to to transferring maybe this summer i mean we were like timing it all out like if it works and we get pregnant then the kids will be this many years apart Mm -hmm. because again i thought i had control God likes to t- remind me quite often I do not have control. Uh, so we we went and adopted a puppy. We intended on adopting an older dog. <laughs> and then we got there and the foster family did not want – they wanted to keep the dog. Yeah. And so we were like – all that was left at the like mm-hmm. adoption show was – puppies and we're like oh man what a mess a puppy. and now the kids are so excited so yeah. we're like okay we're gonna have a puppy <laughs> fast forward a couple weeks we get a phone call so so a couple weeks and then we go into lockdown and then a couple weeks later as like the initial like two-week lockdown kind of calms down but things are really um still really quiet most people are at home and mm-hmm. And we get a call like eight-ish at night from my licensor. And my husband just side-eyes me. He's like, ah, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Don't <tell me> <laughs> he knows. He knows what she wants at eight o'clock at night. Yeah. And and she's got this great southern accent. Oh, and I hope she listens to this and hears my terrible impression. But <laughs> I get the, hi, Katie. <laughs> and, she's, and I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> she knows I am they, – they say I'm like the crazy baby lady or something like that yeah. over at the office <laughs> because they know I'm not going to say no. Right. And she said that – she said, it's a boy. So, like, we had three girls. She's like, so I'm pretty sure you're not going to say no to me mm-hmm. was kind of how she started it off. Um, and we had found out that this, this baby was – a child of another um, young foster mom who, or another young mom in foster care who we had been discussing taking in as a respite placement and it just kept not working and then her situation changed and so she never came into our home for any amount of time but we had um, said, you know, if anything changes after the baby comes and you guys need us, let us know. Yeah. Because they wanted to keep mom and baby together. Mm-hmm. Um and then that situation changed, and they called us, and they said, hey, hey, remember when you said? <laughs> so I went and picked him up. He was three days old. Um, wow. I had met with a social worker and an officer outside of, of their home, 
and which was a little atypical, but because of COVID, things were atypical. Yes. And and I remember joking with the officer. I was like, I definitely didn't speed so that I could get to Cub Foods before the like they shut down so much earlier at night, mm-hmm. you know, so I could like get diapers and formula. Yeah. <laughs> and he was, he kind of laughed with me and um, we scooped him up and put him in the car seat and away we went. He stayed for the 72 hour hold from the court and the court decided to send him back home. Then shortly after they called and asked if he could come back. And so um, without going into too much detail, cause he is still our foster baby. Mm-hmm. Um, he is with us now, and I mean, we consider him part of the family. We just celebrated his birthday. He is one now. Nice. And so we don't know what his long-term future is yet, but um, one thing we're not going to do is <laughs> say, hey, we're ready to transfer <laughs> because we know somebody's going to call and go, hey. Yeah. <laughs> so we've learned four kids under six years old is, is our max for right now and a puppy and an old grouchy cat. <laughs> and I, I, I think people find our story connectable because we all want and think we control our own lives. Mm-hmm. And we have these, some of us have these white picket fence family dreams. Yeah. And we did. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what it is to have a quote unquote normal family. Right. Um, we get a lot of questions about like, oh, is it weird to interact with birth family and have siblings in other places you connect with? And we're like, I mean, yeah, kind of, but also this is just our family. Right. We don't know any other way exactly. to build a family. And so we're we're kind of blind to the other way of life. <laughs> and um, I'm not going to lie, there are definitely difficult times. Um but we imagine it's like that if you have your own biological children. Right. <laughs> um, and so we, we, we are very, very blessed. Uh, we still know we have the one frozen <laughs> embryo <laughs> and that we will get there. Um, but that God really took us in a direction we had no idea yeah. we were headed to. Wow, what an amazing, incredible story. A long story. <laughs> so good. I kind of want to jump back to something that you said at the very beginning, mm-hmm. and it was that you and your husband were a team. Mm-hmm. I think that is fantastic. Do you have, like, any advice or, like, things that you guys did to make sure that you were that connected team? Because I feel like a lot of times it can shift to just be, like, a mom issue versus like mom and dad together, it can be very much like put onto the woman. So yes. how did you guys um, ensure that you stayed a team? And like, what advice do you have for people going through this time to keep being a team? Sure. It's it's very polarizing. Um, it can be very polarizing on marriages. And um, there are actually some studies about kind of you either fall into a better marriage or it goes the opposite way and yeah. leads to a divorce. Um, and I don't know how intentional Pat was um, about our relationship, but I didn't feel super intentional. It felt like it was just um, almost like a teeter-totter. When I was doing really well, mm-hmm. kind of mentally, and was dealing with the situation, and I was like, all right, we got this, and I was super hopeful, um, he would let his guard down, and then he would be really – really the one who is down and I had the strength to pick him up. Yeah. 
And it, it was back and forth like that. I'd, I'd build him up, and then his side of the teeter-totter would be up high, and I'd be real low. And um, my depression was real dark. I, yeah. I, uh, I battled insomnia, and, and there were nights I would lay on the floor and just ask Pat to take me to the hospital so that they could just put me to sleep um, or just tell him I wanted to die. I just There was so much pain, and I, I couldn't get out of it. Yeah. Um, but there he was with all the hope and I wanted to mm-hmm. punch him in the face sometimes <laughs> for the hopeful yeah. message he was sending me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're so dark, you just want somebody else to, you know, be, be sad with you, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and not tell you like, Jesus has a plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so he would kind of come in then he would scoop me up and we would go back and forth like that. And uh, it was just a lot of, a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. A lot of conversations when we were both emotionally ready mm-hmm. um, and not pushing each other to do anything the other person didn't want to do was really important. Um, the majority of questions I get from people who ask me about foster care usually start out like, hey, I'm really interested in foster care. I heard your story. Uh, my husband isn't quite on board yet. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have? Ooh. <laughs> um, I'd say wait. Wait. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't push a person to take such a big leap. And so that was a sacrifice for me to not move right into having kiddos yeah. and giving him the grace period to wait. And then but when, it was worth it because then when he was ready, he was ready and he was 100% yeah. full-time dad. Mm-hmm. most wonderful supportive partner mm-hmm. um we are very thankful <laughs> for him and our family <laughs> yeah yeah that's awesome i love that respect and just like how important it is to make sure that you guys are on the same page and that there is respect um i feel like that can be so looked over a lot of times you know it's just like no i have this and we're married we're one so you're gonna do it with me but that respect is such a huge piece. yeah that's awesome going on Do you have a Bible verse or something that helped keep you steady through all of this? Yes. Um, So my Bible verse of choice um, just came to me at church one day. Um, Just it was one of the verses or one of the readings of the day. And I am not a very good active listener. So (laughs) (laughs) I tend to doodle and things to keep my brain busy as Uh I'm listening to something. And I heard the word hope. And I didn't catch the whole whole verse as the person was reading it. And so I think I, I don't remember if I pulled out the Bible from the pew or if I pulled out like my Bible app and and typed in the verse that he had read. And it was Romans 5, 5. And it reads, And hope does not disappoint us, because the love of God has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And that that shook me. I was like, it's okay to still have hope. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I had screaming rage at God. You know, I I would yell at him and I would say awful, hurtful things. And mm-hmm. and he's my God, and he he took it. He knew I was already in pain. Right, right. He, I didn't. I didn't. He didn't feel bad that I was saying these things to him. He knew that it, it, it was that I didn't have a lot of hope. And, but I was still reaching out to him, yeah. even if it wasn't anger. I was yeah. still, 
I was still trying to find hope and I didn't know that's what I was maybe looking for. Um, so that kind of became my verse throughout our journey and it's still my favorite verse to this day. Awesome. Uh, do you have any advice or wisdom that you want to share with somebody maybe going through the foster and adoption process or supporting somebody going through that process? Sure. Um, a little bit in the fertility advice, infertility advice, um, that's a that's a don't give advice. Uh-huh. Um, that's a really personal thing for people. Right. And one of the things people would say a lot is, why don't you just adopt? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we did. But when we hear that advice, when we weren't ready, it was more than just like, well, you know, there's all these needy kids. Why don't you just help one of them? For us, it was grieving that loss of, of you know, seeing our child come together and, and, you know, have Pat's trait for sports and have maybe my trait for writing and physical traits and seeing, mm-hmm. well, what eye color and what hair color are they going to get? Right. Um, and that was really that was a surprising process to us to have to grieve. Is that we had to let go of that, mm-hmm. and once we were able to get through that, like adoption was such an obvious answer to us. Yeah. Um, so I would my advice is just don't push anyone one way or the other, mm-hmm. um, because then when we did decide to do foster care and we said no to that first baby, it was really tough for people to understand. But if they were just there. And ready to listen that was what was best yeah yeah so the less they talk like i do <laughs> the better <laughs> yeah i also think that you have a quiet piece of advice of wait like it's okay to grieve it's okay to go slow you don't have to rush the process and i think that's super important because um like you said we're always so quick to like move on to the next step right away like Mm -hmm. oh that didn't work let's try something else right away but allowing yourself to have that time to grieve and to process and to think about the next step that's an incredible thing to say too yes and i and i admit i wasn't always very good at that (laughs) (laughs) but uh, i i knew when i needed it yeah yeah it is important awesome well, thank you so much for opening up and yes. being vulnerable and sharing your story. Um, I'm sure a lot of people in our congregation will be able to connect to it. And um, if they want to reach out to you and talk about maybe the foster care system or infertility, how could they reach you? Sure. So I am the gal who, if you've been at this church for a while, whenever we baptize one of our kiddos, um, I do the children's message and kind of tie it into how they got here. Um, so you've maybe seen me do that. Um, we are also the loud family in the back with four <laughs> children um, at the later service. Uh, so you will definitely see me that way. Um, otherwise, you can reach out to my personal email. I am really an open book and have no problem uh, you know, really sharing experiences. So my email is katiekvoss at gmail.com. And you can spell that K-A-T-I-K. V as in Victor, O-S as in Sam, at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you again for sharing your story. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, And Trinity, I challenge you again. Katie didn't necessarily reach out to me to share her story, but somebody else suggested her. So it's okay if you suggest someone to be on the (laughs) podcast. We'll give it a go. So reach out to me at sarah.vanduzer at trinitywaconia.org. And we'll encourage you to share your story on the podcast. We hope that you join us next time. And remember the wonders.